right. Well, you picked a good podcast, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just glad you'll have me. Welcome to Rosie on Recruitment, a podcast on recruitment, career, and more. I'm your host, Rosie Nathan, partner and senior sourcing specialist at Customized Talent Group, chief commercial officer at Her Career, chartered manager, and mentor. I'm here with my featured guests, ranging from executives to graduates and candidates to hiring managers, to provide you with valuable insights and tips to help you get the most out of recruitment, whatever side you're on. In this episode, I'm joined by my first American guest, Mike Seidel, COO and co-founder of WorkHair, soon to be Pivot CX, and CTO and CMO of VPSPay.com, based in Indianapolis, Indiana, USA. WorkHair has a vision to help companies respond to every job candidate. They aim to increase communication, improve higher quality, and deliver an exceptional candidate and client experience. While VPSPay.com provides electronic payment solutions to legal businesses that are fast to set up and easy to use. In this episode, we dive into technology supporting communication in the recruitment process, transformative moments when the right people are in the right roles, how Mike's advice for his 18-year-old self is what all entrepreneurs need in their businesses, COVID lessons, and being brand agile, listening to your current and prospective market for success, how not to negotiate an offer, it's worth the listen right to the end, and much more. With lots of Venn here aligned to my career background, it's a pleasure to welcome Mike to the Rosie on Recruitment and Career podcast. Let's actually get on into it, shall we, Mike? Let's do it. Can you tell us a bit about your first recruitment experience and how things have changed for you? First recruitment experience for me was first company I started. I was like 18 years old, 19 years old, and we got to the point that there was too much work for me to do by myself. And I had to hire somebody. It was actually harder than I thought. Like I thought it'd be really easy just to ask some friends if they wanted a job and that I could pay more. And almost all of them were totally skeptical. And it took me like three months before I could fill the job. And it was literally just for somebody to help me carry computer equipment in and out of buildings. That's interesting, right? So you were young and you had this entrepreneurial spirit and you had all this cynicism from people who really should have trusted you. But I think a lot of them had a hard time believing that the person they were going to high school with had a company that was kind of crazy. And the other part that was crazy, I would actually write paychecks that were as big as what they would make flipping burgers at McDonald's. What led you to that first instead of looking for a role? Is it something that you saw in your family? What led you to that path? It wasn't my family for sure. My dad was highly educated and my mom was highly educated and they certainly were from the go to school and stay there for 28 years until you have a couple of doctorates and a PhD. And I didn't want to wait around for that. I had just started a program computers in the mid 80s. And by the time I was a senior in high school, had a job where I was doing computer programming professionally. And when I decided to go do something different, I continued to work with technology. And I started a computer services company where I would write some software and sometimes set up networks. And this was like 1988, 1989. So nobody in their right mind would hire a high school person to work with expensive computer equipment back then. And so I had to just do it myself. I'm sure a huge number of lessons learned there. You're the co-founder and COO of Pivot CX. What are the key problems Pivot CX is solving for the recruitment process and how are you doing that? There's a couple of really big problems in recruiting and I'll just call it the biggest problem is the black hole, which is where people apply for jobs, don't hear any response for weeks and weeks. And then a lot of recruiters end up spending a lot of time chasing down candidates that don't respond with Pivot CX or taking on the black hole by helping companies go faster and get a 
human-to-human communication or human-to-human conversation with a candidate every time they apply. It's been pretty transformative. We've watched a lot of our customers go from where it takes 18 days, 19 days between when someone applies for a job, taking it from 18 days down to 18 seconds. It's a pretty great opportunity there in terms of making people feel heard and valued when they're in a pretty vulnerable state as a candidate and recruiters who want to get back to people and keep a relationship for those opportunities open. So what do you also think is a key misunderstanding that candidates have about the total recruitment process? Wow, where to start? There are a lot of misconceptions that candidates have about getting a job and getting a great job. It starts, I think, first with the misunderstanding of how employers will use technology. A lot of times they think, and the younger they are, the more likely they are to think this way. But a lot of people think if they apply for the job, that's what they, the only thing they have to do to get a job. There's a lot more going on there than that. We especially see this with younger people who a lot of times think like getting a job is like getting a Facebook account where you just apply for it and then you magically get it. And so there's no follow-up or no follow-up. That's the very first link in that chain. I often talk to mentees about the fact that CVs, they're like the blurb at the back of a book. And an interview is you being able to go in and share a little bit more of that novel, the first couple of chapters. And as you go through the interview process, it builds on that. The story becomes richer and hopefully that leads you to an offer. But I think that's a really good way of putting it, that that needs to be considered right from the outset. In your introduction, I've mentioned PivotCX and VPSPay.com but you're also across a few other businesses. What makes you feel inspired in the work that you and your various teams do? Well, in in every case, we're solving a problem that somebody has. VPS is a payment processing company that specializes in handling payments for law firms in the U.S. They have some very special rules they've got to handle. We built a system that handles those rules for them and very much solves a really big problem for them. Pivot CX, when I look at what we're doing for the employers we're working with, we're helping them find better talent faster than they ever thought they could. That makes a big difference. But almost everything I've done, the very beginning of it is how do we help people out. And what's exciting, at least about Pivot CX, and what's exciting about recruiting is that we get to help two different people out. We get to help someone find a job, which is still to me a great feeling. And then the other side is we get to help some employers find great people. And the longer I go in business, the more I really come to understand that when you find great people and you're able to make great hires, that can lead to some very, very transformative moments that can change everything about a business. Making the right hire really can change the trajectory of an entire enterprise. I have seen that in action. You get the right people in a room and magic absolutely happens. In terms of Pivot CX, are there particular industries that you focus on or that you feel benefit greater from what you do? So when we started Pivot CX, we were really focused on blue collar. So think warehousing manufacturing, truck drivers, that kind of thing. As we grew, we started getting people asking us, hey, could you try hooking up your chat platform to maybe help us find software developers or salespeople or SAP certified account auditors? And every time we've taken what we do and apply it to a different market, we're finding that it doesn't matter whether it's somebody making six figures plus per year or somebody who's making 18 bucks an hour, doesn't matter what level that they're at. They all 
all really appreciate getting an immediate response when they apply for a job, getting to talk to a person, get their questions answered before they're asked to fill out the 28-page application. You've already touched a little bit about how you started and your entrepreneurial spirit, but if you could turn back time and talk to that 18-year-old self, what would you tell him? A couple of things. First, really, really, really make sure that you get good at billing and make sure that you're always invoicing on time and that you're always calling people that are past due and all that. I think one thing a lot of entrepreneurs really mess up in their business is they don't focus on this fundamental part of doing business, which is just making sure that the bills get out and people are paying their bills on time. And then the other thing I would tell myself is listen to your customers. When they're telling you they don't want to buy what you're selling, that doesn't mean that you necessarily have failed to build something great. It just means that they don't want to buy it and maybe you should put your energy into something that they will buy. That's a great lesson for all businesses. Times I've certainly worked in organizations and felt that from a senior leadership perspective, there's been a disconnect with the market and that feedback isn't getting heard and they're still wanting to put customers into particular boxes. There's nothing more damaging for your brand, right? Well, I think so. We learned a little bit about that when COVID hit last year. Started Pivot CX, it actually wasn't what it is today. We started with this geofenced mobile app for finding jobs. It was kind of Yelp for jobs. We operated a business for about five years that was based on that mobile app. When COVID hit, in about one month period, we lost 85% of our revenue and we just kept having customer after customer tell us this is extra. We don't need to pay for it right now. Things are tight. And we had this little sliver of our business that was doing this chat work for companies that wanted to respond to people coming in on our mobile app faster. Well, the chat part of our business survived it. And so we looked at that and go, you know what? Maybe we ought to really listen to the market. They're still buying this. Let's just double down on it and make it bigger. So we built a whole new software platform and brought that to market last year. I think it took us all the way to December and we lost 85% of our revenue in, in March of 2020. And by the end of January, we had already passed up our sales for the entire year of 2020. And at this point, we're not too far off beating all of 2020 and 2019. I mean, that's just such a heartwarming story when so many organizations have failed to take that first step of awareness. Was it difficult to really face? Business has been doing this for five years. As a team, how did you go through that process and decide, yeah, we're going to throw everything at the sliver, as you said? Without COVID having forced us to confront a reality that none of us had planned for, we didn't have anything in our business plan for global pandemic. So when we were faced with it, we're looking at this and going, okay, this pandemic, it's going to take at least, I don't know, 18 months. So the question was, what do we do with the time that we're given? And we really wouldn't have asked those questions. We would have just been trying harder and harder with the old model, if you will. Unfortunately, one of the hardest things to do when you find yourself in a hole is stop digging. Such wise words, Mike. (laughs) I got lucky in that we got a really strong signal to stop digging and look around and see what we could do to get out of that hole. And we were very fortunate that we had started doing this chat service as just a sideline. And frankly, we were doing it because the mobile app didn't work all that well compared to what it should have been. And so we had these people doing chat to optimize the conversion rate out of our mobile app. And it turns out that if we just hooked that chat process up to every job application, really great things would happen. And so that's where we are today. But I never would have made the decisions we made without COVID having been like a lightning bolt making us go, wait a minute, everything 
things change and we got to do something different. Well, congratulations on understanding where that gold was and then getting out of one spot and digging in a new one. I think there's a lot to be taken away from that. It was hard and we had to make some really tough decisions, change the makeup of our team and realize, hey, we're not going to sell a lot for the next year. We need software developers and maybe not business developers so much. And we had to change some of our team and make those kind of decisions we all say are tough decisions as business people, but it's really true. You know, you've got people that are counting on you for a livelihood and the pandemic didn't make that any easier. No, absolutely. So I know that was focused more on Pivot CX. What other crucial leadership decisions needed to be made through COVID, through the other businesses you're involved with? And how has that changed or impacted your work across those recruitment and fintech industries? Well, on the fintech side, COVID had very little effect on VPS. And the reason for that is that while people weren't getting together face to face and were more likely to be paying their lawyer with a credit card than they were with cash or with a check or other means, we actually saw a pretty good uptick in that one based on the pandemic. But I just look around and feel very fortunate that that business had the market it did. It could have very easily been doing credit card processing for restaurants, in which case it would have been in big trouble. We here in New Zealand, we're credit card and post focused. Very few of us carry cash at all. We use PayWave a lot. And I know that's quite different from America when I was involved in payments. We were in the US market, but it was just slow in terms of adoption versus what we were used to here. You know, we saw a shift for people going more to to online offerings, Uber Eats, that type of thing. How are you seeing that in your local area? Cash is becoming increasingly rare. It's something that I think there's a lot of pressure, both between everybody carrying a phone now and being able to make mobile payments, that that puts some pressure on it. The fact that there are businesses now that if you hand them a $100 bill, they don't have anywhere to put it. So there, there are some things that are changing. You can still do business with cash pretty much everywhere here, but it is becoming less and less frequent. Throughout our country, there were periods in our alert levels where cash was banned. So you literally couldn't spend cash. And some people still don't receive cash. So I think obviously through different countries, different protocols, and we were adopting that earlier, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens, continues to happen in that space. And speaking of technology, how do you think technology will continue to change recruitment and fintech in the next two to five years? And now a super quick word from our sponsor. A big thanks to the sponsor of this episode, Customized Talent Group, a New Zealand-owned and operated recruitment agency with an innovative, unique, and personalized approach. At Customized Talent, Michael Viner leads a team of nine partners who deliver exceptional service with a model that ensures partners are rewarded for developing long-standing, trusted relationships that have client and candidate best interests at heart. Customized can provide the recruitment partnership you've been searching for, sourcing outstanding talent while providing the high highest levels of care and communication to support requirements and business objectives. Check out customizedtalent.com and the show notes for contact details. I'll start with fintech. I think the transformation that's coming is going to be largely based on adoption of cryptocurrency. And, you know, right now, not everybody has cryptocurrency to work with. And so as we see countries start to roll out their own cryptocurrencies and and that sort of thing, we'll see more and more of it. It'll be a long, slow process, but it'll be a big one. On the recruiting side, I think we're in a time of great innovation. And I think COVID really has driven a lot of that because we've seen kind of two trends intersect one another. One, we had a trend 
trend towards the gig economy and towards day labor turning into hourly scheduled labor off of mobile apps. And that's been transformative in some markets. And then in the rest of it, we're really seeing a shift away from kind of batch mode emails and phone calls and that kind of thing to conversational recruiting. And that's kind of where we find our company in the middle of that shift. People who are looking for work have a different expectation of how you communicate with them today. You know, the old way of pull up a pile of resumes over a month or two and then start calling people just doesn't work anymore. And and your candidates all expect to hear back almost immediately and know where they stand in the hiring process. And if we're smart as business people, we adapt to that because the best talent has the highest expectations of us. Absolutely. I read an article recently, there are now four generations in the workplace at the moment. And obviously, generationally, that causes some differences in expectation as you speak about. What are you finding in terms of Pivot CX with the age range and expectations and interaction there? We're seeing everyone really liking interacting via chat or text messages, depending on what country we're in. But the vast majority of people really like knowing where they stand. We still have a few people that are comfortable with phone calls, and that's what they want to have. As the workforce trends younger, the acceptance of text as a primary way of communicating is definitely there. We're seeing here in the U.S., I think Pew did a poll here in the U.S., 73% of candidates prefer text messages to any other kind of communication. It's really, really, really the way to go at this point. The other number that I think is really important is we see 81% of text messages are read within three minutes of when they're received. And I don't know any other kind of, you know, if I leave a voicemail, I'm lucky to get that one listened to in two days. (laughs) I think the immediacy of text has made it really acceptable. And then COVID has helped because people maybe weren't as comfortable using their mobile device with everything. They're now getting their groceries online. They're now using a lot of different e-commerce products where stuff shows up at their door three hours later and are very comfortable with, with using their mobile device. I'd agree with that. Do you think that also leads to more honest, direct communication? There's a sense of informality that's now entered the process. Are you finding that it's a little bit more real and direct? That's definitely the case. We really do see people be a lot more comfortable when you're informal with them versus mm. years ago, I would be Mr. Seidel to everybody. And I think what we see with, with job seekers a, is they expect to be treated like they're a person. And they're just not used to formality anymore, almost. It's, it seems to work better. The other thing that goes on is when you're communicating with text, you don't really have a lot of room for a lot of formality. You want to be brief and be meaningful with what you say. And I think people are a lot more comfortable. And that's probably a good thing. I'm not sure where this fits in your process, but does it get to video interview stage? Are you involved in that at all? And what are your thoughts around video versus face-to-face? Our product, we really haven't launched anything in the interview side of things. We take candidates from basically apply to high and then from high to interview. I think if you looked at what we're doing at the end of this year, we'll be taking people from apply to hired. So all the way through the process, we are actively adding video to our product right now. Video interviews are great. I can't see a reason in the world not to use the technology. It saves so much time. You don't have to bring people in and disrupt the workplace nearly as much. It's just a better way to go. So I can't see a reason in the world why you wouldn't want to adopt video interviewing if you don't have it already. I know here in the U.S., the number one video interview platform, this is almost funny, is Zoom. (laughs) No, 
surprise there. <laughs> People do what they know. And I yes. think everybody has gotten very familiar with Zoom and maybe to a certain degree, Google Hangouts and Microsoft Teams. And so a lot of them are trying to apply that to every process that they run into where they need video. I would agree. It's taken away that barrier or the perceived barrier, I would actually say, that this is not a part of the process, that it has to be a face-to-face. And I think what's also heartening is that in a lot of instances, it allows more candidates to be considered at that first interview stage because it is easier to set up time via video and have a window without the disruption either end for travel or just going in and out of booking meeting rooms, etc. So if they have that first opportunity and can shine there, then they know who to progress into a a face-to-face. So it can be a positive all around, absolutely. What is the most challenging aspect of your work and how do you find a work-life balance? I don't know what work-life balance really is because (laughs) since I have 18 years old, I'm one of these people that started, this is my sixth company, so clearly there's something wrong with me in the head. um, (laughs) You're a glutton for punishment, Mike. (laughs) Maybe I am, but I think what it comes down to is I really enjoy what I do. I love making software. It's fun. I love building businesses. And increasingly, as I do more and more of it, I really, really like being a positive part of the people that are involved in the business's life. Actually, kind of a, to me, something I really am happy that fortunate enough to be able to help people find a livelihood and kind of make their way through the world. So a lot of the problems and that kind of thing, those are temporary. Probably the hardest thing that we deal with are decisions that are more negative, you know, terminations and, and that kind of thing, layoffs, those yeah. those things are always, always hard. You always wonder what would have been if you didn't have to do that. But for me, this has been something I probably, if were possible to do it for free, I probably would. That's great. <laughs> I enjoy this a lot. I think when you can truly say that and the work you do satisfies some peace in your soul, that's a fantastic combination. Either that or I was just such a terrible employee that... <laughs> The only person I could work for was myself. (laughs) I'm sure there are many of us out there, Mike. (laughs) Maybe one or two. And speaking of this fulfillment, what does imperfect, whole human and real mean to you? Oh, wow. That sounds like a description of everything that we do. I think the biggest thing is that there's definitely a a need for genuine emotion and empathy in business. And when we don't have that, I think people feel unfulfilled. So this last year has been a great lesson in that. Yeah. And I love that we are, as a society, pretty much everywhere moving more towards being transparent and inclusive and collaborative and understanding each of the unique perspectives and strengths that people bring. Because as we said earlier, you know, that's where the magic happens when we can understand it and use it together. That's a great answer. Thank you. What do you love about your work and what's next for you? Oh my, what I really love about what I'm doing right now is a typical day for me looks like three, four hours of programming, probably a meeting or two with clients, maybe a cast like this. So I'm getting to do lots and lots of different things and it just keeps me on my toes all the time. And one thing that's been great, and this is maybe the thing I'll miss from the COVID era if there is anything, and that is the fact that I'm not having to get on airplanes and fly all over the place to go to meetings for 15 minutes. I 
mean, some travel is great. Before COVID, I was traveling every second or third week. Traveled a lot in my earlier career too, where people are going, that's amazing. And they're like, yeah, getting up at three o'clock in the morning in a tropical island where you've been wearing suits and everyone else is drinking pina coladas is not that great, actually. <laughs> that's a letdown when that happens. The other one that is no fun at all is when you uh, end up having to spend six hours on an airplane, fly into an airport to go to a meeting at the airport conference room. And then you get on an airplane and fly six hours to come home. (laughs) This is where video absolutely assists. Yeah, I I hope Zoom replaces that pattern forever, right? And the carbon footprint, you know, we're thinking bigger now. We have all of these considerations. Yeah. What is one piece of advice that you have for hiring managers? I think the biggest piece of advice I could give a hiring manager is learn to go faster. Your best candidates are the ones that will take jobs with someone else the fastest. And the faster you go, the more likely you are to capture one of those candidates that's going to help you transform whatever the business is that you're recruiting for. We miss so many great people because we don't go fast enough and we don't get to them and talk to them and really listen to what they have to say. And one thing that's been so striking with this business is that when we do go fast, we are seeing our clients getting candidates that they just would have completely missed. And some of the talent is just amazing that we see getting kind of caught because of the speed that would have went completely anonymously through the process and never even got an interview. Yeah, when there's process internally that takes weeks and you've got great people and they're not going to sit around just waiting for you. So I absolutely agree. What's one piece of advice you have for recruiters? Once you you do go fast, make sure that you really do listen and don't just believe what you see on the resume. We're seeing on the that last analysis we did, we looked through about 1,200 resumes. We found 13% of them were inaccurate. They were missing some kind of data or it was just wrong. Those are the kinds of things that if you're using an ATS or an AI to do screening, these candidates will be quietly eliminated from consideration. And we found a lot of situations where people maybe applied for a job, but one of their licenses was on the resume may said it was expired and a human being knew to ask, hey, is your license expired? And the candidate would go, oh my gosh, I didn't update that, but it actually expires four years from now. And we were able to keep the candidate in the pipeline. So a lot of times we over depend on automation. We are missing out on maybe some of the better people. That's a great real example to use. And I think it is that human eye and not just what people have put on their CVs, but I'm a huge advocate for transferable skills and not everybody understands how to tell that story in the right way and the CV is again as I said just the blurb so being able to see what that is and connect the dots because a lot of hiring managers or organizations they won't do that so employing a recruiter and having great systems in place that can connect the dots the right way for people that could have been quietly eliminated as you earlier said really important part of that process. I agree. So lastly, is there anything else you'd like to share or last words or a story that you could leave us with? I think really to anyone in business, don't be afraid to go for it. Get out there and take whatever it is that you want to do and give it a shot. Find some people that you can tell them about what you're doing. Ask them, hey, if I did this, would you buy it? And if they say yes, you might just have a really good idea. Remember, there's only two rules in marketing. Do something and do it better next time. Yes, that's so true. You've had an extensive career and setting up companies. Is there any funny behind the scenes stories that you're happy to share here? One thing that comes with starting businesses, there's always, always going to 
to be something strange. And in fact, this week I had one of those strange things happen. I actually had a software developer that we had made an offer to come on board working for us. And it was the weirdest thing. I get a call at six o'clock on Friday evening. My wife had called me and I'm running through the grocery store, grabbing some stuff, take home. And I'm on the phone with this person who's renegotiating his compensation. And I actually gave him what he asked for. And he was supposed to come in on Monday morning. So nine o'clock rolled around and there was no new software developer in the building. <laughs> 10 minutes later, I get a call and same software developer wanting to renegotiate his compensation again. It just really blew me away. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I thought we went through this. Uh, if it worked once, it'll work twice. <laughs> and current status of said software developer? Uh, we have a new opening. Great. <laughs> I think you've also got to be aware of negotiation and how you play that out. I think that that gentleman might have had a great future as a lawyer, but I've never had somebody try to renegotiate their salary five minutes after nine o'clock on their first day. Yeah, that that's definitely a first for me. I've not heard that before either. Lots of negotiation, but not on the first day. Yeah, it's a new tactic. I don't think it works very well. <laughs> Yeah, that's the feedback, audience. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Mike. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was so fantastic to extend my podcast to my first American guest and a testament to the fact that lessons from experience, good advice for candidates, hiring managers, and entrepreneurs is universal. If you want to see the full interview of our time together, head over to my YouTube channel for the extended video version. To connect with Mike and the work he and his teams are involved with, check out the show notes for links. If you liked this episode of Rosie on Recruitment, please subscribe, review, share with your networks on your favorite social channels, and tag me at Rosie Her Career. That's R O S E Y. I'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions to discuss how I can help you find the best human talent for your organization or to place you in your next dream role. Until next time, remember be calmer, be kind, be better.